and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we pick a topic to discuss, and this week, we'll be talking about the imminent consumer duty. Firms are frantically preparing as the deadline is fast approaching at the end of this month. Given the timescale, it is encouraging to note that a survey by Schroders revealed that 19% of advisors said they are fully prepared for consumer duty and 77% said that their preparations are in progress and they should be ready for the end of July. However, worryingly, 4% said they had not yet started to prepare. In today's podcast, we'll be talking about the duty, where firms are at and what the impact of the duty will be. I'm Sonia Raj, Deputy News Editor at FT Advisor, and joining me today are Gillian Hepburn, Head of UK Intermediary Solutions at Schroders, and Alexandra Roberts, Head of Regulatory Policy and Compliance at PIMFA. Hi all. Hi. Hello, good morning. So one of the stats that stood out to me from the advisor survey was that 25% of advisors thought that the consumer duty would have an above-medium impact on their business. Gillian, perhaps this is one for you. Why, why do you think this is the case and, and what has been kind of some of the, the correspondence with advisors? Yeah, so um, thank you very much for having me and also for highlighting the advisor survey. Um, it's a great starting point, isn't it? Why, why do some advisors think it will have an impact? Um, potentially, it's, I guess, to start with the amount of resource that it's taking some of them to actually get to the point of implementation. But it's not just about that. It's about then the ongoing uh, compliance with, with the consumer duty. And then secondly, perhaps, it's once they've gone through uh, fair value assessments, for example, or looked at consumer understanding, how much resource it then takes to implement some of the changes that they've identified. Um, but that's, it's great, isn't it, that they're, I guess, seizing the opportunity to sit back and review their business and, and really think about customers. So, um, But maybe we should also think about the, um, the 39% that said it would have no impact on their business. Um, maybe, maybe we can talk about that. Is, is that actually a concern as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's um, quite shocking to think that that many people think it won't have any impact when it's, you know, the next biggest regulation that has come out since RDR, for example. So why, why do you think that is the case? I don't, I don't know. I mean, one of the benefits of our survey is we do our next one in November and we can ask where advisors are and what they're thinking. But, um, you know, my view on all of this is, you know, we can always do better. You know, if I look at the work that we had to do to comply as, as a provider, so as a manufacturer of our model portfolio solutions, you know, there was a lot of time and effort and resource went into to all of that. So, um, and we have identified change. So I guess my view is um, fundamentally it should drive some change. Um, you know, I'm sure we can still do work understanding uh, better who our customers are, how we interact with them, the services that we provide and whether or not we're actually um, meeting their requirements and also achieving good client outcomes. Sure. And and Alexandra, did you kind of have anything to, to add to that? Well, I think that um, the statistics that show that a number of advisors don't think that it will have a big impact on their business is, is quite worrying because I think, you know, the, the consumer duty is the flag 
flagship piece of regulation uh, for the FCA. And you know, if you listen to all the communications and messaging that the FCA is providing over the last six months, um, they're really giving it, a, you know, they want firms to take it seriously. Uh, they believe that it will have a big impact on the way that um, customers are treated and on ultimately on customer outcomes. So I think that to um, consider it um, just as, um, you know, I, I think it, it was interesting because they, in a survey by Aviva back in March, 84% of those uh, advisors surveyed said that they just considered it uh, TCF uh, on, you know, sort of a, a, a repositioning or a readjustment of existing regulatory expectations. And I think that that seriously undermine, you know, underestimates the impact that the um, consumer duty will have on businesses. Um, and I think that that's a dangerous route to take, especially considering how seriously the FCA is taking it. So um, I think that consumer duty will have a very big impact on their business and I think that firms that that are you know sort of avoiding that and 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 not realizing that are, are approaching it in the wrong way so um I, I I think that it really need will have um an impact and I think you know forward. given the the three weeks to go deadline it's it's worrying that you know if, if, if people are still feeling that way um one of the other things i guess having spoken to advisors was of the four outcomes outlined by the regulator assessing and describing fair value was one of the ones that was the most difficult to prepare for and i guess it's it's down to how do you evidence this and that and how do you prove that and this was closely followed by confirming consumer understanding and i think that resonated with obviously the um survey as well so Alexandra, I guess maybe for you, how should advisors be preparing for for kind of fair value and and um, kind of you know approaching this? Yes, well, I, I agree that that is one of the hardest ones. Um, you know, in the working group that we've been running at PIMFA, uh, fair value and evidencing fair value, I think, is one of the ones that our members have found to be the trickiest. So that sort of tallies with the results in the survey as well. Um, it, it's, I, I think, the the important thing to do is to very much listen to what the FCA has been saying. The FCA has provided quite a lot of information and communication in relation to this. They, in, in addition to what they've set out in the finalised guide. Um, there's also the podcast which was published at the beginning of the year and more recently they set out a review of um, firms uh, of firms value assessments I think this was uh, in um, just a few months ago um, and there they set out uh, examples of good practice and examples of uh, areas which required improvement so one good starting point would be to listen to, to that podcast and to look at the um, report provided by the FCA and compare it to you know the value assessments that you're making and where you can uh, improve it and you know carry out some, some tweaking and uh, remedying looking at it that way but I think it, the importance is the segmentation aspect which is repeated regularly by the FCA of segmenting your uh, your um, target market and making sure that each cohort that you have is receiving fair value and evidencing that and I think the evidencing part collecting both quantitative and qualitative uh, uh, data in order to support your fair value proposition is of is, is important because the FCA isn't mandating any particular type of uh, charging model what you have to do is to evidence it that it evidence that it's fair and I think that's where the difficulty lies sure and and Gillian did you have anything to kind of bring into that yeah I mean I think firstly um maybe a good way to look 
at all of this is it's likely to be evolutionary and not revolutionary, yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, come the end of July, we'll all be looking at what's out there and what's good practice and what's poor practice, to quote the FCA. So I think we're all on a steep learning curve with all of this. Obviously, as a provider, we're slightly ahead of the game, having had to produce fair value assessments um, a couple of months ago. Um, I think one of the challenges advisors have often is that they, they are providing a service. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a physical product that's mm-hmm. much easier, perhaps, for people to assess the value of that. It's not like they're producing a car, as an yeah. example. Yeah. Um. So service is much harder, isn't it, to quantify? It's 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 subjective and it's probably intangible. So, how do they go about thinking about what comprises their services? Um. And it, and it's back to you know what we've already talked about in terms of that segmentation. You know, if if advisors started to look at prod a number of years ago, then they should have some robust segmentation in place and then thinking about the services and the products that they provide to each of those segments. So, you know, that's a great starting point. Interestingly, our last survey showed that the number of advisors segmenting clients had dropped, um, which was quite interesting, although what they've had started to do is segment by life stage rather than just assets under management. So that's an interesting one to watch. But I think it's back to what can they then measure because service is... In terms of measuring it, it's there's practical elements of it that are relatively straightforward in terms of looking at you know performance and costs and fees and and that's quite you know it's, it's quite specific. And then there's the emotional piece around trust and peace of mind and understand you know having an advisor that understands me and that empathises with me and and that's probably the more difficult or challenging part in terms of how do you measure yeah. that. And, you know, what I have seen is, you know, Benchmark, uh, for example, is one of our businesses, as you know, have produced a really interesting framework for advisors to think about both of these elements and how can they go about um, putting in place customer feedback loops that look at both of these elements and identifying also the relative priority of each. Because one of the things that was interesting was that trust was um, one of the highest points of value when they asked clients. Um, and that's probably one of the most difficult to measure, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. So, so I think, you know, back to my point, I think I think this will evolve over time as advisors get much more used to having to um, think about consumer duty, not just for the end of July, but, you know, it's, consumer duty is not just for Christmas, right? Of course, that kind yeah. of <laughs> And so I think we will also, I think we will improve as an industry as we all get used to doing this. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it's here for the foreseeable future. So yeah. it will definitely be one that I think maybe as they start to present fair value and understand how to deliver that, I guess, it, it, it will just become more natural as opposed to an actual yeah. process. And I think the evidencing point is really important as well. It's not enough to say that we deliver fair value. It's about how do you actually, how do you prove and evidence yeah. it? And if it's, it's back to that old saying, isn't it? If it's not written down, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it's about helping advisors think about how they actually document all of this. Um, and then, and I do think there'll be a lot of comparisons across the industry post July where advisors can learn. Yeah, um, and and that's about everybody helping each other. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the things that the FCA has kind of done is left a lot of it open to interpretation. And I think that part of the reason is so that they can allow sort of a bit more flexibility and creativity into as to how rather than having a you know, scripted way of, of doing it. So I think everyone will sort of learn from it in, in some way. Um, one of the other things, I guess, was uh, was that 
more than half of the advisors felt that the fair value outcome would put pressure on the ongoing charging model. Um, and, and, you know, the charging model obviously changed significantly with RDR. So how can we expect the consumer duty to change this going forward? So, um, Alexandra, maybe you want to take that one first? Well, I would say that, you know, as you said, the FCA haven't mandated any specific charging model that should be followed in order to comply with consumer duty. Um, but what you have, what advisors will need to do is evidence that it is fair value and uh, just say as you know just saying it's fair value is not sufficient you need to demonstrate it um and ongoing fees are obviously the ongoing charging model is obviously one that can be could be subject to question in terms of whether the, it does provide fair value. I don't think that consumer duty necessarily brings that to an end. All it means is that you have to demonstrate and evidence how the customer is is getting value out of it. Um, so, you know, for example, if you are meeting the customer over biscuit and coffee once a year and that's it, then, you know, the, obviously clearly there is an argument that uh, they're not getting fair value. But the, the element, you know, what Gillian said earlier about peace of mind, trust, all of these are elements that do provide value but are very difficult to measure. Um, so I think it just becomes more complicated for, for advisors to demonstrate it, but it's definitely not necessarily an end of that particular type of charging model. Sure. And Gillian, what were your thoughts on that? I actually thought it was a really interesting question and maybe in our next survey we'll ask it in a slightly different way because... What we weren't sure was it was it the actual model of ongoing charges or was it the actual amount of charge? And they're two quite different things. Mm -hmm. So we will explore that in a bit more detail. But if you think about the ongoing charge model, um, you know, it has been around for a long time now in terms of delivering a service commensurate with the um with the price or the cost that you're um associating with it. Um and I thought that interesting other elements of our survey absolutely demonstrated the value that advisors can deliver with an ongoing charge. So um, just as a couple of examples, nine out of 10 advisors said they were having discussions with clients about holding cash, given attractive rates at the moment, as opposed to long-term investing. Mm -hmm. And our view on that is something you absolutely want to speak to an advisor about okay. because the answer to should I hold cash is it depends on what you want that for. We also saw this huge swing in clients in terms of viewing markets from a neutral standpoint rather than being bullish or bearish. So again, you know, an advisor can navigate that journey with a client. And let's face it, in the last few years, there's been many turbulent times, hasn't there? You know, COVID, Russia, Ukraine situation, um, the mini budget, what's happening in the mortgage market. So lots of touch points where an advisor can be on the front foot with, an, with a client and um, giving them ongoing advice. And another interesting one for me was that significant number of advisors said that clients were adjusting their plans to help address challenges as a result of the cost of living crisis. And one of the interesting points was, I think it's about 44% said they're adjusting the plan to help the wider family. Now, again, advisors helping out, is it a gift? Is it a loan? How's that money being taken tax efficiently from portfolios? Mm -hmm. Are there other ways of generating that money? You know, we're hearing people stopping pension contributions, stopping their protection contributions. I've just read recently again. So my, my view on the ongoing piece, it's about advisors being on the front foot. Whereas if you move to, just say, move to a fixed fee model, it's really then in the hands of the client to identify when they think they might need yeah. advice. So I think there's some some really interesting 
um, opportunities here for advisors to really demonstrate the value of that ongoing charging model. Although we are seeing pressure, obviously, because I think the regulator said that, if I'm correct, something like you know over 90% of, of clients are automatically put in an ongoing charging model. And in their view, not everybody um, required it. So, so it feels like it's on the radar. So yeah. we'll just have to see how this one plays out. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, obviously, I mean, the, the, having the kind of fixed approach makes sense for you know, someone that just needs one-off advice and, and, and naturally yeah. they don't want to pay ongoing fees. Or simple accumulation, yeah, absolutely. exactly. But someone that has, I guess, you know, multiple properties or, or, or mortgage or, you know, other a family, other things to think about, it, you, you do kind of need to see that the advisor can kind of portray that value and, and the client can understand it, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so I guess just finally, um, it, it would be interesting to kind of understand, I mean, obviously we're three weeks out from the from the deadline and that's when firms should, should in theory, be, be kind of prepared and, and finalised by. So what stage should they be at right now and what should they kind of, what would, should be the, the point that they're at um, to be prepared by the 31st of July? Um, Gillian, do you want to take that one? Well, I guess with three weeks to go, um, it, it, it probably should be at a near final stage. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that we delivered obviously our own assessments for advisors that were using our solutions to integrate with into their into their fair value documentation. But it is quite difficult and things like consumer understanding, you know, that doesn't have to be completed, my understanding, by the end of July. We are still going through a long process of looking at all of our documentation, even our client-facing videos. The fact the client likes a video, um, the question then is do they understand it? So I think we've all got a long way to go. But I guess in terms of, you know, stage one, they should be nearing completion, particularly as we're drawing up towards the, the summer break. Yeah, sure. And and Alexandra, what what, what would you say? Well, I, I think that um, firms are at different uh, stages and levels of preparedness. Um, but I think even the most um, well-resourced, forward-thinking and organised firm won't be necessarily 100% ready or get it 100% right by the 31st of July. And I think the FCA accepts that. Um, and, you know, the FCA has indicated that they're going to take an iterative approach. They're going to be pragmatic and proportionate. So I, I don't think that there is the expectation of, of being 100% ready uh, on the 31st of July. What they do expect is to, for you to, to be sufficiently down that road, to have taken steps in all the major areas um, around um, consumer duty. So, you know, they talked about substantive compliance at various of their speeches um, and prioritization. So making sure that you address the biggest harms first and close those biggest gaps. So I think that the FCA will be expecting you to have done that. Um, you know, to have looked at uh, your, to, to have a fair value assessment in place, to have your data strategy um, in place to a certain extent. Obviously, you know, as Julian said, there is room for improvement and um, it is okay to have a day two plan uh, going forward after the 31st of July and to have in place ways in which you can improve um, uh, how you assess and monitor customer outcomes, for example, improve your data strategy, improve the way that you, the, the customer understanding aspect um, but I think that what the FCA want to know is that firms have taken it seriously that they've they have taken uh, sufficient steps uh, and that they are on on a road forward um, rather than I think you know the FCA will come down hard on either those firms where there is the biggest harm to consumers or those firms who have done very little at all 
um, but if you can show uh, your your concerted effort in trying to reach that milestone, I think that the FCA will be will take a reasonable approach. Sure, yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to kind of um, revert back in in a couple of weeks and see what you know where we're at. I mean, probably not on the thirty first of July, but even just you know next month to see mm-hmm. where firms are and 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 how they're at. But the consumer duty is obviously not one that you know we're gonna hear the end of anytime soon like Julian said it's not just here for Christmas so um but I think that's kind of all we've got time for today unfortunately so I just want to thank you both for for joining um and, and kind of coming on to talk about this um very interesting topic and um thank you to all our listeners um tune in next week as we discuss another hot topic in the financial services industry planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.